listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Leland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community healthcare. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Well, hello again. This is Bruce Neeland, your host, and I'm excited today to introduce you to two amazing industry people. But first of all, I want to tell you what we're ta- who we're talking to is Kyle McCormick, who has figured out a way, and, and listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, to run a pharmacy without worrying about a PBM. So Kyle McCormick of Blueberry Pharmacy, say hello. And is it true? Can you fill prescriptions and take care of people and not ever talk to a PBM? Yeah, yeah. Um, Hi, I'm Kyle McCormick. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, that's true. That's what we do at Blueberry Pharmacy. We don't uh, do insurance at all. And, and, and that's remarkable. And you'll tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you came up with this idea in a minute. But next, I want to introduce you to Robin Amberg. Robin is a, ah, Robin, give us your title and tell everybody who you are. <laughs> so I am a senior director of strategic business development for Prescribe Wellness. I've been working with them for almost 10 years now, focusing on how to support community pharmacies and how to help them run their pharmacies more effectively in delivering patient care. So um, I'm excited to, to be here. Thank you. You bet. And so Kyle, back to you, a blueberry pharmacy. Um, you've owned it how long and where is it? Yeah. Blueberry pharmacy is located in the North Hills of Pittsburgh and we opened March 20th, 2020. So right before, right as the pandemic. A great time to open. Yeah. <laughs> Friday before our state shut down, so <laughs> no better time. So it it when when you opened, did you have this world crushing idea to do it without a PBM and to be a cash only pharmacy, or, or you had certainly come from working. I, I think I remember Gotti Pharmacy, um, kind of an important one in the state of Pennsylvania for years. How did you get to this point? And we'll get to what you're doing in a minute, but how did you get here? Yeah, so it, it kind of, uh, um, you know, everything shapes the future, right? So uh, I don't know exactly when the idea came. Uh, it was kind of a culmination of ideas. So, you know, uh, always worked independent pharmacy, always knew that that, you know, if I was to stay in pharmacy, that's the path I wanted to go. And so, you know, even going back to pharmacy school, the idea of owning a pharmacy kind of got in my head whenever my friends and I entered the Pennsylvania Pharmacy Association uh, business plan competition, we ended up winning. And so that was like uh, affirming that, you know, hey, possibly, you know, we could do this, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, did the competition and uh, got the itch to, to kind of eventually own my own pharmacy. And then, as you mentioned, did a residency with Yaddy Pharmacy, um, was head of clinical, um, following residency, head of clinical 
operations there and um, also staff pharmacists. So I got to see the ins and outs of pharmacy and also kind of the trends that were kind of alarming to me as somebody wanting to open my own pharmacy or run a pharmacy. I don't know a year in my career where the discussion hasn't been the reimbursement fell again this year and fees are up again this year. Um, and so I was like, I don't think that's the, you know, I don't think there's much promise in that model because <laughs> every, every year I've been a pharmacist and even going back to my school years, it's like, uh, it doesn't seem great. Uh, so <laughs> nobody likes it. Nobody talks about how great, you know, running. It seems a counterintuitive, right? <laughs> to fill prescriptions and lose money. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so that, that, um, you know, I didn't see a future uh, where the, where that was super promising. So I was like, well, I still want to own my own pharmacy. And uh, I think back to a Medicare patient who came in with um, generic Vesicare prescription, Solafenacin, and her copay was going to be $300 for a 30-day supply. And this is a patient with Medicare, which is supposedly like, you know, well, we want Medicare for all, right? So this is supposedly what we're, we want for <laughs> America's. Uh, but yeah, I was like, I was holding the bottle in my hand and I saw it only costs $5 for the pharmacy. So how is, uh, how is there not a world where it just makes more sense to just charge a patient, you know, $15, $20 for that same medication patient walks away, not having to shell out $200. We make still, you know, a margin that covers our costs. Um, and so is there not a world where we don't need to involve insurance in order to offer fair and transparent prices to patients? So, you know, those are some of the big driving factors. If I look back on pre-Blueberry, kind of what led, led me to, you know, experimenting with this model. The other thing was, uh, we also have a membership here at Blueberry, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. But that actually, um, Stephanie, my boss at Gaddy Pharmacy, kind of allowed me to explore that idea of membership. If we look at, there are several trends of membership, you know, working in pharmacy, but also definitely other industries. So if we think about like, you know, probably um, Amazon really pioneered the idea of membership um, and took it at scale. I'm sure there were definitely people that pioneered it before Amazon. But, you know, taking that into healthcare, the idea of direct primary care, they have memberships, the idea of um, CVS CarePass, um, where they have a membership, um, there's uh, GoodRx Gold. Um, so there's a number of memberships. So I got to explore the idea of putting a membership in, into an independent pharmacy. And so we created Gaddy Gold, um, which then became Gaddy VIP and um, got to roll that out and got probably over 200 patients signed up for that before. Uh, leaving and creating Blueberry Pharmacy. So, you know, that was a little test grounds for whether or not patients are willing to pay for a membership and how to actually implement it, how to, you know, the different steps involved. Uh, so definitely took some learnings there before um, coming and launching Blueberry Pharmacy. So definitely had a, a number of, you know, um, realizations. And, uh, but I don't know that I really knew what I was getting into or really knew about drug pricing uh, until I actually opened it and tried figuring it out myself. So, uh, but if you're asking pre blueberry kind of what led me to, to wanting to open it, I think those are some of the biggest, you know, takeaways. Well, well that is an amazing story. And, and I, I guess one of the pieces of good news, it's good thing you didn't come to a person like me or another industry uh so so-called uh, expert and ask for ask for our help because we would have told you it's impossible you couldn't do it so it's a perfect example of of somebody not knowing any better being able to do something that 
the smart people or the other, I, I hate to say I'm a smart person or an expert, but you get the point. I, we would have said, no way, you can't do that. Um, so Robin, you got a question for, for Kyle? Well, I, I mean, the, the, I have a few, but the one that pops out to me, that's the, I think hopefully the, the most obvious or the one that everybody is scratching their head is, is, you know, sometimes what makes the most sense is the hardest to implement. Why, why, why isn't everybody doing this? What's the downfall? What's the risk factor to this? And, and uh, what do you think, I guess, makes this work? Yeah, and I guess um, probably possibly one of the best ways to answer that is now the post-blueberry reason. Like, no, now that we have blueberry, what is the actual reason for doing it? And uh, so I mentioned I, I learned a lot after opening it because, I, you know, I came in this naive, like, um, there's got to be a way to change this patient with still a fence and a fair price. Like, that was the sole driving factor. Right. Post opening, I actually have more of a more of a philosophy, more of a mission behind it, in that I, I heard Robert Popovian, who's um, kind of uh, he's he was previously with Pfizer, helped with their he was the VP of government affairs, something along those lines. Um, but he was on a podcast, and I heard him say the idea of you know these are fundamentally non-insurable products, um, and I never that never thought my thought never crossed my mind. You know, I I was probably like most Americans, but most people is just, we have insurance, we have health insurance, we should be using it for everything, including generic drugs, why not? Um, but that became kind of the driving mission, kind of um, the realization was uh, generic drugs are fundamentally non-insurable. Um, if we think about insurance and what we have insurance for, it's for high cost unknown events. Um, so you know, we, buy health, we buy car insurance in case we're in an accident, not to cover the scratch in our car. We buy home insurance in case there's lightning strikes it, not in case we have a blind fall off the wall. Um, you know, uh, high cost unknown events. And so the unique thing about health insurance, and I think it's more of the complex system and um, the opacity and, and lack of transparency uh, and all the incentives that are in place to keep the system going the way it is. Um, we just have this assumption that uh, if we have health insurance, we have to use it. Uh, also, if we have health insurance, it should you know work for everything, uh, which is kind of a bad assumption, um, and it doesn't actually work with what insurance is intended for. So, you know, whenever we have prescription insurance, uh, instead of it covering the metformin that only costs five cents for a zero dollar copay, it would be a lot nicer if it worked on a little bit better on some of the high cost unknown specialty drugs, right? Um, and so, really, I think what 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 is now the driving force of blueberry pharmacy is that I, I honestly believe most pharmacies will transition, if not all community pharmacies will transition to this model because of the fundamental truth first principle that insurance is intended for high cost unknown events and 90% of prescription drugs being filled are not high cost and they're not unknown. They're, they're predictable every month. You're going to have to take it for the rest right. of your life. Right. So is there is, which is, I mean, fantastic. It's a, you're absolutely right. My then question is, is insurance is a business model of itself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we know um, they're obviously a profit center. So is there is there any risk on their side that they're going to be coming, uh, coming after businesses for not running the medications through insurance? Or do they look at this as a positive win too, that they don't have to cover those 
those those medications. Yeah, I, I don't know because I'm not in the insurance right. side. <laughs> if I were to guess, I think that it's kind of like they they already know. Yeah, like they, they'd have to know that no, from an insurance perspective, these are not insurable products. I think a lot of the feedback that we hear is, you know, um, the the idea of data and, and understanding the data. So if right. they're going outside of insurance, right now, right. insurance are the data warehouses, essentially. Right. Uh, and so I think one of the biggest pushbacks would be the idea of, you know, Lots of visibility. Things are, yeah, if things are being filled outside of the system, then we don't have a, a good idea of risk and we can't properly manage risk, which is fair. But I think that we're, we're capturing data and, and doing it in a bad way. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on data privacy and data and healthcare sure. um, that probably are whole podcast of themselves. But, uh, you know, I don't, I think claims-based data is kind of a crappy way of doing things. Like even from a, you know, adherence-based perspective, sure. uh, if it makes more sense for all this to be outside of insurance, then why does the insurance entity need to be the one necessary? Like, why, do, why is it based on claims? It could just be, you know. Uh, well, it brings the provider back to the conversation and talking about coordination of care, right? Mm -hmm. The information and health outcomes. And well, let me ask a dumb question that. on that. Are, are you not sending your prescriptions through any sort of switch? No, because then we'd have extra fees added on too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you run I, them through from an inventory, like you're still, I believe you use a, a pharmacy management system, yeah, obviously yeah. for dispensing. So they're going through that, at least for inventory management and control, just not being adjudicated from an insurance claim, correct? Right. Yeah. 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 So, so there are companies that, you know, like for us, we would still see it, you know, prescribed wellness using that data. So we could still support a pharmacy like yours because we can yeah. see that information. And, and yeah. And so like, that's where it's like, we could properly collect data and, and share it in a meaningful way. The problem right. is that right now it's a very one way street with data and that ensures drive all the benefit from it and don't share Correct. it. Correct. So um, the idea that, you know, if we are owners of that data um, and that, and we're not actually owners, so pharmacists where we're starting into data, I very much believe that pharmacists, anybody that touches data that's not the patient is custodials, custodians of that data um, or, or kind of like stores of that data. Sure. The true owners of that data are the, the patients themselves. Um, and so, and so, you know, whenever we start thinking about it from that perspective, there's definitely ways that we can use tools to be custodians of the data um, and properly respect patients' privacy and, you know, do um, sharing of data um, that, that is more in line with that perspective um, that doesn't involve insurance. Because um, there are tools like Tabula Rasa that, you know, would allow for such a thing to happen. Um, but it's now we're, we're currently caught in the insurance world where that's the only way that we collect data. And that's the only way that we are able to manage a patient is through claims, right. um, which I would argue is not true because we've been now in business for two years and we're properly caring for patients, possibly more so than uh, most pharmacies do. Um, and we don't have insurance helping us do that. Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast listeners, this is Bruce Neeland with a shout out to the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative, better known as IPC. 
Over the years, it's been my pleasure to work with IPC, and they have a number of programs that help pharmacy owners do more and be better. I invite you to check them out at www.ipcrx.com. Thanks. Well, that brings me to, I guess, my core question is, I understand 80 to 90% of the prescriptions are generic, but 80 to 90% of the dollar volume is brands. So most of your patients have to have a brand medication need from time to time. Are are they willing to go to two pharmacies to handle that? Or how, how do you share or handle the patient who needs a brand and yet has three or four generics that they're filling. Yeah. So actually maybe I would push back a little bit on, on the, those assumptions um, in that, you know, 80 to 90% of prescription, actually 90%, I think is some of the, um, especially if we start looking at insulins and their biosimilars as being like, even if we actually had proper use of Semgly, which is a biosimilar auto substitutable for uh, Lantus, uh, which is half over half the price of cost. Uh, like that's that's essentially a generic, and and so it's a lot of those things. Um, you know, a lot of insurance props up the use of uh, brand name products that we'd probably actually see a higher percentage already if we if we didn't have insurance forcing brands. So, but right around ninety percent, and so nine out of ten most patients aren't on. Now, if we're talking, you know, um, high utilizers, they would definitely have it out. But most patients don't encounter brands until they have multiple complex disease states. So I think already uh, the majority of like 51% of, you know, or more patients would, would not really need uh, brands until um, they have a more complex disease state. And then from there, if we look out maybe past 2025, whenever Eliquis is supposed to have a generic and we'll see some, start to see some of the um, great diabetes management therapies right now I'll start going generic, hopefully uh, towards the later 2020s, um, we're starting to see, you know, 95 plus percent of medications um, that are all generic. So, and if we look at the drug pipeline, a lot of it is for um, complex disease states, cancers, um, you know, monoclonal antibodies, very complex um, therapies, high cost therapies, where there's not a ton of pipeline for, you know, a new blood pressure medication or a new cholesterol medication or a new, um, even, I mean, there's still a lot of work on diabetes, but I think some of the therapies we have now, I don't, I think they're pretty mainstay. They'll be um, pretty great in the future too. So, so, um, so I really think we'll see a, a dwindling number of patients on brand therapies. And if I think, you know, uh, if we're able in the community setting that only dispenses generics to care for 90% of the patient's drug needs or 90 plus percent, we're the ones that also are best poised to provide pharmaceutical care for that patient as well. So, and we already have patients using multiple pharmacies. Um, and so uh, we, we often get the question around fragmentation that we might be introducing to patients' care because we only dispense generics. But if we look out into the grammar, grander scheme of things, um, there's already, you know, narrow networks for specialty drugs where patients have no choice but to get it filled somewhere else. And, and, and so it's already being forced into the world where there are, we see a fragment a bifurcation of the marketplace where um, really all generics are going to happen in the community setting. Uh, every community pharmacy will have generics and brands will be more of a mail order, especially um, high cost. Um, and in fact, and actually I'm not, a lot of, there's a lot of concern over that, but actually from my perspective, I actually like that model because um, it really doesn't make sense for, um, 
if we think about some some of the rare disease states, it doesn't make sense for the 20,000 plus independent pharmacies across the country to each have a copy of that product in their store. Right. And and already we're having to, you know, order that next day for the patient so that we have. So why not just have it ordered next day and shipped directly to the patient? And I don't want to have that inventory in my pharmacy because it's high cost. Um, and uh, it's also increasingly rare disease states that are in rare you know, use cases for a lot of those therapies. So, so um, I don't mind that as long as I know that the patient's taking it. So if I already know 90% of what they're taking, it's a lot easier to, to um, add up to the list uh, two other meds that they might be getting mail order to them than it is for the opposite way. So I think we're best poised to still provide care for the patient and best understand what all they're taking. Yeah, I love that. So can we ask about your membership? I want to learn a little bit more about your membership program. Um, I'm very interested about that. And, and even one of my questions is, is, how does that compare to the concept of concierge? Is it the same concept? Is it different than concierge? I'm very interested. I'll be honest, I don't know too much about the concierge movement pharmacy, so I can't really speak to how it compares. Um, but the idea of membership, um, the idea behind it was uh, our cost plus model is cost plus 10 for 30 day supplies. So if a patient does have nine or 10 medications in dispensing fees alone, that's 90 to 10, hundred dollars a month. And I think about like the actual, what a pharmacist does, you know, the very first time we go to fill something, if it, speaking specifically about chronic medications, like blood pressure, diabetes, um, cholesterol, you know, the very first time we fill something, you know, it's a much more, it's a greater lift for the pharmacist. So we're probably having to do transfers or, you know, the, the very first DUR that we do for the patient of making sure that all, all those combos are safe and effective. That definitely requires a lot more work. But if I think about the monthly filling of that, you know, we're still checking, but if nothing's changing, there's not much added cost to that, right? So to, to justify 90 to $100, which is almost a full hour of pharmacist time for somebody that it doesn't take that long. It's like not, uh, it doesn't line up with the actual cost of, of providing that service. Um, and so it was like, well, how do we lower that so we are attractive to patients with complex? Because if, if that were the case, we'd be, it'd be very unattractive for a patient with complex multiple therapies to use our pharmacy. So it's like, how do we lower that monthly or that um, dispensing fee, uh, but still not lose money on a, on a patient? And the idea of membership was they're going to pledge loyalty to us. Um, for the next quarter or year to say, hey, I'm your, you're my pharmacy, you're my pharmacist. Um, we're gonna lower your, your monthly um, or your dispensing fees because we're gonna make money regardless of whether or not you're filling anything. Um, and so that was the idea. And it actually, I love it because it actually, and this is stuff I hadn't thought about, but it actually realigns a lot of incentives for patients. So uh, right now the traditional model is whenever we only get money for dispensing products, we're very much product um, and script volume focused. So the idea is, well, I don't know of any pharmacists, pharmacists would actually look at it this way, but in reality, if we're presented with a new prescription that may not be the best for the patient, it is that you know in the moment, that means a, another fill, more money, right? Mm -hmm. Versus like in reality, it may be best if they don't take it. It may be best to actually reduce the number of prescriptions being filled. It may be best to get patients off therapies, but that's not an aligned incentive in the current model. Whereas in our model, 
heck, that's less work for us. And, um, and so we're still going to get a membership regardless of whether or not they're, you know, filling that medication. Uh, and so heck, let's, let's optimize therapy as, as much as possible. Let's increase efficiency as much as possible. In fact, sync is one of the best things because, you know, the more, um, we synchronize patients, uh, and, and the more we optimize their therapy, the less, uh, fill burden that's on us. And we start collecting memberships. Um, are, so, are you willing to share the membership fees with us? I mean, how does that rate? Yeah, so it's $60 a year um, or $18 a quarter. Um, and so... Um, and what is the patient? What is that? What's that sell to the patient? What? How do you present that to the patient? Yeah, so the patients very much view it as a way to lower their dispensing fees. So okay. they'll lower their cost of care. We view it as a medication management fee. So it's what justifies our time you know, talking with the, educating the patient, um, you know, helping them with um, questions outside of, you know, the filling process. We view it as a way to like say, you know, this is the money we're getting paid for our service of being a pharmacist. But the patients very much view it as like, you know, this helps lower my costs. So, you know, if you're a member, it's going to get you a, a free quarterly delivery. Uh, and also um, lower the, the overall cost of the medication. So it's pretty easy sell to patients just because we're lowering their costs. But in the, from our perspective, it's actually us getting paid for the service um, that we provide. So MedSync is, at the, is a big part of what you do. A delivery is available. What about compliance package or convenience packaging? We don't do packaging yet. There's definitely a future where we could. Our, our the majority of our patients, um, just because we're kind of in this interim where insurance still is uh, has a uh, kind of dominance in the market, um, the majority of our patients are going to be commercial patients, like um, probably anywhere from 30 to you know um, 60 uh, with high deductible plans. So that's like the majority of our patients. Um, so usually not a ton of medications. And then we do have a, a decent population of you know 65 and up with Medicare but the majority of prescriptions we're filling are maybe like things that fall outside of the, 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 the tier, like tier. So we're not, if we, if we start seeing um, a number of, if we, if we start getting asked for it and we also start seeing where, you know, we really are um, filling the majority of that patient's medications and it would be helpful for the patient to have compliance. There's no, there's no problem. And the nice thing about the membership too is uh, a lot of people give away that service for free, but it's very, very time intensive. Um, right. So you can put yeah. that in as a fee or service. Right. So um, this was actually one of the pilots at Gaddy was we, we said anybody that's getting packaging, you've got to be part of our membership. And so way to kind of monetize the, the service of packaging. Um, and so similarly, if we added on that tier, it would just be instead of, you know, $60 a year, we might charge you $200 a year. You get all your meds packaged and, and sent to you, you know, um, but they already have the nice thing about our patients is um, it's all built in. Um, they know that, you know, we're going to charge fair and transparent prices. Um, and so if we have to add an extra layer of service, um, that's going to be a different membership tier. Hey, Robin, I'm going to let you go ahead and ask the next question, but I feel honor bound to at least take a moment and indicate that, you know, Kyle's the owner of Blueberry Pharmacy. I'm the host of the Pharmacy Crossroads podcast. Robin Amberg is a co-host here today. 
and many of you may already know, but Robin happens to be my daughter. So there's, uh, uh, I, I just felt like we needed to get that out there. And open. <laughs> so more, more importantly than being my daughter, she's the mother of my 13 year old granddaughter. So um, anyhow, uh, Robin, go ahead, ask your next question. Yeah, no, great. But I just am, my mind is spinning. I, I, I love this whole concept, Kyle. I think it's fantastic. But I also can see the, the, va the value of future value-based contracts and the ability to get some um, payers to start paying for things like synchronization and how that just adds to your profitability even more in your model today. Because again, it doesn't, it, it's just a, an exciting thing to see how, um, that really is transforming your business model, your payment model. Yeah. And, I and think that's where it needs to go because like you said, you're optimizing care mm -hmm. and you're not incentivized on the dispensing. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, often, you know, I always started out throughout pharmacy school, like don't give all your services for free. And right. we do that way, way too much in, in pharmacy. Like Absolutely. You know, the idea of free delivery, free mailing, you know, nobody does that. <laughs> no other industry does that. Right. I, uh, I mean, if, if they do, like even like Amazon's or, you know, it's built into to the cost of the product one way or the other. But in pharmacy, we have no way to like I could technically, I guess, you know, increase my you know, cost plus in order to you know factor that in. But, you know, there's no pricing power with with the traditional model to where that ever makes sense. Uh, I mean, I think historically we just made enough in the margin. That, that we could justify it. But, um, you know, we should not be doing a lot of the free stuff that we're doing um, because it, it just then makes it hard to ever charge for it. And um, it well, is a service. It, it does. And I guess my next question was leading to the patient's perception. So I, I would think that most patients think that when they're using insurance, when they get those things, you're getting paid for it because mm -hmm. that's part of their insurance program, mm -hmm. right? So when you eliminate and you're upfront and say, hey, we're not taking insurance, you're paying for this, I think it has to level set the patient's expectation that they wouldn't expect you to do these things for mm -hmm. free. So yes, they understand there's a cost to them um, because I do think patients think that you get paid for that by their insurance company. Oh, yeah, yeah, I totally do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. So has the what has the patient response been? I mean, do they know coming into you that this is how it works? Or do you have to educate them and say, we don't take your card? How, tell me how that is perceived on the patient side. It definitely a lot of education. That's probably one of our biggest barriers is, like I said earlier, it's kind of we have this mentality in, in America where, you know, if it's part of my health insurance, it should be covered. Um, and uh, or if I have health insurance, that's the best price. And that's the only way to possibly right. get this medication. Um, and so a lot of it is, you know, educating patients. As a lot of questions we get are like, well, how are you able to do this? And like, right. I don't know why I have to answer this question. Like the, one of my favorite quotes was, you know, um, a patient who were, their previous copay was going to be $300 a month. And now it's like $30 a month. And they're like, well, how are you able to charge $30 a month? And I was like, well, it's very easy for me to explain. It cost me 20. I add on 10 and therefore it's $30. Like my question is how are, you know, how, like it's easy for me to justify my cost. My question is, why aren't you asking this to your insurance company and asking for them to justify how right. 
despite you having insurance, your copay is still $300. Like, where's that price coming from? Cause I don't know. Like, I don't know how, you know, I mean, I, I know it's based on AWP, you know, customary, <laughs> but, but like it makes so much more sense. But the fact it's very frustrating that to some extent we get questions on, on the legitimacy or, you know, on the, um, the, the feasibility of how we're able to price things whenever ours makes it's just you know ours has parallels to other industries and traditional pharmacy very much doesn't parallel any other industry so i'm going to jump in here with the personal question so my wife takes ziptomag uh, made by medicare are you familiar with that product yeah so um, the, the short version is, is she's been on a, a couple statins. They didn't work. And so we went to Ziptomag um, because I did a podcast with the CEO of, of Medicare. And, you know, they've got Marley Pharmacy out in North Carolina. So she's paying $90 a month for a branded medication that if she bought with her insurance card would be $300 because the company is completely gone around the PBM model. Mm-hmm. Do you carry Ziptomag or there's some brands that you do carry? No. And I, and, you know, towards that the idea of bifurcating marketplace um, where most community pharmacies will be dispensing generic medications, which account for 90% plus of a patient's medication list. Um, I don't see a world where community pharmacies, where it makes sense to carry brands um, just because um, it's a lot, it makes a lot more sense to warehouse um, and send directly to the patients that need those specific products. Um, for the, the great example is Lipidomag. Um, Marley is a mail order pharmacy, I think licensed in all 50 states. So it makes a lot of sense just because it's not that common. I, I actually have never seen a script for Zipidomag. So, so it doesn't make sense for me to have it in hopes that somebody walks in and has a script for it. It doesn't make sense for me to have a $90 product on a shelf. Just, you know, hopefully somebody walks in. So it makes a lot more sense for those unique cases for those to be just warehoused, you know, in a couple um, warehouses across the country yeah. directly yeah. to patients that need it. So, so then shortens the, it actually allows, so I think we'll see a lot more of that. We already see it, you know, Zipidomag's one, uh, Qsimia, a lot of branded manufacturer, a lot of branded drugs now are going direct to consumer. Um, Synthroid Direct, so there's already a program for patients that take Synthroid to get them direct. So I think in a lot of, it actually makes a lot of sense because by going direct, um, usually then it, it allows the manufacturer to have a better patient relationship so that hopefully the patient will stay on that manufacturer drug. Um, also, it, it um, kind of um, increases profitability for the manufacturer because um, they're able to you know, uh, market directly and then have a greater percentage of that cut. Uh, they don't have to share it with a wholesaler and a pharmacy and all that stuff. So it, um, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of branded drugs to go direct to consumer. So speaking of a lot of sense, does it make any sense for anybody else to try what you're doing and how could they get help? Yeah, no. 
I might be biased, but I think I think the, uh, the industry is moving this way. Um, you know, to some extent, we're already seeing it. There's a lot of uh, NADAC plus type uh, Medicaid models where it's national average drug acquisition costs plus a dispensing fee. Um, Capital RX is a, you know a PBM that's doing transparent um, cost plus. So I think one way or another, cost plus is the future for all of pharmacy. Uh, definitely biased by saying that, but. Um, so I think it makes sense for every pharmacy across the country, if they want to persist into the future, to have cost plus be part of you know, the strategy. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It never made sense to me why we wanted $4 for lisinopril and accepted, or, or even a greater example is like 41 cents is acceptable for filling a metformin, but then we, we, we want to, to make sure we get $2,000 on Tecfidera. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, because it requires the same amount of time, effort, knowledge, uh, schooling to dispense both of those products. So we should get paid the same service fee for dispensing both of those products. So I don't know how, I mean, I kind of have a sense of how we came to um, that where we, you know, we expect, you know, massive reimbursement on some drugs and then most of them we barely get reimbursed over the cost. So I, I think, um, you know, I think cost plus just makes more business sense, makes more sense in, in, in actually the service that we provide as pharmacists. So I think, you know, definitely every pharmacy should at least be familiar with the concept and hopefully uh, we'll consider, you know, incorporating that strategy into other price medications. You want uh, to take a minute and tell us how you can help with that? Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a consulting company called Cost Plus uh, Pharmacy Consulting, uh, where we can help patient uh, pharmacies across the country um, kind of consider converting to this model. Or you know, if somebody wants to do a startup like Blueberry Pharmacy, um, where this is their their sole model, um, that's how we help patient, uh, pharmacists across the country um, incorporate these strategies, um, anywhere from membership to just how to price medications. Uh, how to market the model. Um, so that's kind of the, some of the services that we offer. Robin, you get the last question. Well, it's not a profound one, but I did want to ask, are you still layering in other services? Like, are you a vaccinating pharmacy? That, that's tricky. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so the frustrating thing there is that, you know, vaccines are many. We definitely could. We'd have to have medical contracts um, because most of those aren't necessarily done with PBM. So right. certainly we could. I never want to sign a contract with a PBM. I'm not opposed to signing medical contracts. Um, it just kind of gets a little messy and kind of uh, right now our sole focus is on on driving the cost plus model. Okay. Uh, I think the future of pharmacy, we we definitely are you know the prime vaccinators across America. So I think as ph pharmacies and even ourselves will eventually be vaccinating. So we do some, uh, but it's not a core component. And I think. A lot of it comes down to, you know, whenever it comes from a service perspective, all the services will still persist. A lot of the question is, um, what is insurable fundamentally and what is not? Okay. Uh, as a society, we're starting to ask this, even like um, with the direct primary care movement, uh, we're starting to evaluate what actually makes sense to go through insurance versus what doesn't. Um, so I think we'll, we'll see that a lot with pharmacies. We'll continue to be operating labs or doing point of care <laughs> testing or you know, vaccines. Some of them will be insured uh, and possibly more so on the medical side. Some of them will be a lot more cash pay, self-pay, which is the FSA payment type options. So I, I think it'll be continually evolving, um, but I always think pharmacies will, will exist that have all those range of services. Well, listen, um, I, I'm a whole lot smarter now than I was a half hour ago. Uh, thank you so much. 
I, I do hope uh, somehow or another I get an opportunity to see come out and see you and see your operation. Um, you are the second pharmacist I've interviewed on on my podcast program who I haven't actually met and been in their store. So you're kind of a pioneer on my podcasting <laughs> career as well. And thank you for that. Um, hey, with that, uh, everybody, uh, that's the end of Pharmacy Crossroads today with Kyle McCormick. Uh, owner of Blueberry Pharmacy in the Pittsburgh area. You're in some little town out there. What's the actual name of your town, Kyle? Pittsburgh. Yeah, we have a Pittsburgh address, but Westview is the north part of Pittsburgh. That we're okay. In. Well, listen, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. And for Pharmacy Crossroads, here's Bruce Neeland, hoping something we said here today will help you do more and be better. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you.